Yeah, switch vendors like four or five times. I'd send, you know, a uh, hundred units to them. 30 of them would come back all messed up and total crap. So then we were making an extra 30 units and sending them to them. And then when they get back, throwing 30 away, like it's painful to me because like I love efficiency. Things are, things are inherently simple, but people overcomplicate things. And like that just, it, it just pissed me off, to be honest. It wasn't something I wanted to do. So I literally hopped on Craigslist and was like, okay, anybody selling a powder coating system? And yeah, there was one, $10,000, bought it. No freaking clue what I was doing and just started doing it. <laughs> Welcome to the SMB Ops Show, an exploration into the mental models and decision processes of operators. I am Joshua Schultz, and with me today is Joshua Paulson from Quality Cage. I'm excited for this one because we're going to dig into manufacturing, something very close to my heart. We're going to talk about how his operation is set up from order to fulfillment, how he used lean to streamline his operation, and what it takes to build a consumer manufacturing business. Let's dig in. So Josh, we've been talking on Twitter for a little bit, but finally we get a chance to uh, talk here live. And I'm super excited to learn about Quality Cage and kind of what you're doing with it, where you came from and where you're headed. So thanks for uh, joining me today. Yeah, happy to be here. Happy to finally uh, meet you somewhat face to face. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the reasons I'm excited to talk to you is a lot of the people we talk to are home service people, but you and I have manufacturing background, which has a whole different income statement. I mean, you know, our they all talk about labor, and while labor is important, we've got material and inventory, and so I'd like I'm looking forward to getting into those nuts and bolts with you and just kind of digging into how you do what you do. But first off. Why don't you tell us about your business and what you make? And that's going to raise a bunch of questions from me because uh, <laughs> I didn't even know this market was a market. So, yeah. So, my business is Quality Cage Crafters. We manufacture small and exotic animal cages. Our main market is pet chinchillas, exercise wheels, little hideouts that go into inside their cages, anything that enriches the animal's life. That's what we want to be manufacturing and supplying to our customers. So we, we sell everything e-commerce uh, driven, small little bit of wholesale, mostly direct to consumer on Shopify. And we handle all the logistics too. We're very much made to order. High, high, high SKU counts, low volume on each of those SKU counts. And yeah, a lot of variability in what we do. So it's, it's difficult, but it's fun. Our customers appreciate the personalization. I think that's a big part of why we're, why we're growing. So. So you don't have just like six, seven cages. You've almost got a build your own cage type of setup. So is that, do I understand you right? The consumer can go in and kind of can do add-ons and stuff? Yeah, so we we, we, we advertise uh, a set product line, but we're completely open to doing variations. If they want, you know, our cage is 30 inches wide. If they want a 30, 36 inch wide, we're going we're gonna to work to provide that for them. So you have a lot of consumers that are coming because again, I, th- I would have thought most of your business was wholesale or commercial, but you're telling me that most of it is actually DTC and you're not doing a ton of commercial and or wholesale. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of commercial wholesale. There's a huge, there's a huge amount of margin in, in direct consumer, um, especially if you're manufacturing and there's no middle people. The only thing we buy in is raw materials, then the rest is up to us. So, you know, we can be as efficient as as we can be in our operations. Um, and, and that's hugely beneficial to us. We've been insourcing all of our operations as much as possible, 
trying to control every facet of it to gain as much margin as we can and hopefully keep our prices low and, and just provide as much value to the end consumer as possible. Retailers are a little bit more difficult to work with. They want payment terms. I'm typically getting paid 15 days in advance before we even touch, begin making their product or incur any costs. So, Wow. So you have a negative cash cycle on your business. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that we would be able to do it without it, honestly. It, we, we would have to take a lot of financing and to, you know, if we were to do a 500 cage order and we were producing it for say six weeks and then we deliver and we still don't get paid out for 30 to 60 days, that would be, it wouldn't work. I mean, one, because I haven't built the business that way. That's not how we operate currently. But two, like, I, you know, I don't have a huge amount of money. It's expensive to go get stuff like that financed and margins are already tight on wholesale orders. So that's why I, I really like the direct to consumer. And so how big is the the direct-to-consumer market in this? I mean, when I first heard about you and, and the the main animal that, that I think is talked about is chinchillas for, for you and your market, but on your site, you show everything from monkeys to, to hamsters. So how, how big is the direct-to-consumer chinchilla market in the U.S. or that you hit? And you could talk in terms of, I don't know, sales or money or whatever you want, but I'm, I didn't think that was a big enough market to have basically a company that only made cages for them. So that's really interesting to me. Yeah, so that that's a hard answer, hard question to answer because I, I don't know. I know what I know from my experience and exposure to the market, but like the American Pet Products Association, they do cat, dog, very specifically. Then they do small animal as a category. There's 14 animals within small animal, and they really don't niche down into the data. You know how much how much money is spent on the on those each animal each year. So I had to do a lot of that myself. I had to go talk to chinchilla breeders chinchilla breeder organizations and try to figure out like, Hey, how many pets are you guys selling monthly, yearly? And to try and get a rough estimate. And, you know, I don't know how accurate any of it is, but the, the estimate that I came up with a few years ago was about a hundred to 150 chinchillas per day sold in America. So yeah, there, you know, that's, in my eyes right now with where my business is at, like we have a lot more opportunity to sell a cage each day. In the beginning, it was pretty, it was uh, somewhat easy to get to the, to get to uh, higher volume sales. Now it's beginning, there's more competition popping in, in that market, oddly enough. And, and now, so we're, we're starting to diversify and into other animal categories right now, but also that's a lot to do with just our operations are running better and I'm comfortable adding more SKUs yeah, that's why we're diversifying into other animal categories. Yeah, so I'm on your site right now, and you've got 15 animals listed. So I'm curious, do you know off the top of your head which is the 15th animal that is not one of the 14 small animals, according to the the Oh, the gosh, I think there? there's like monkey on there. That's not typically, <laughs> yeah. you know, we don't see too many of those ones, but I think it's really cool. It's really fun. There's quite a few monkey owners in America, but... I don't know, there were armadillo owners. The rest of them look like I've seen hedgehog, rat, hamster. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, the armadillo one's weird. It's mostly been like animal rescues that rescue armadillos, and they use our chinchilla exercise wheel to to run on for exercise in their enclosure. So it's kind of it, it, dude. I see weird new stuff every day. It's like I'm surprised all the time at this point. <laughs> it's it's it sounds like catching that feedback loop though allows you to create new products geared towards whatever the new weird thing that you hear about is and there's a whole new market for you that you just keep opening up how do you capture that feedback out of curiosity how do you hear about 
what people want to do with their cages. Do they call? Do they give you like, oh, do you have an open system somewhere where they can just put in what they want and talk about? Yeah, why? so it's a mixture. I, uh, I'm pretty, I, I'm not as active in like the Facebook groups anymore just because hammer you with, you get hammered and I just don't have time to answer all those questions. But I, I browse all of the Facebook groups for almost every single animal. This is why I don't use Facebook for personal reasons because it's literally just chinchillas, <laughs> birds, ferrets, so much information. So honestly, just observing what people are doing in the communities themselves. I see a lot of suggestions for different products that are missing, products that have issues. So just honestly, just mostly observing. I still do all of our customer service. So that is becoming way more of a time time crunch that, I, that I'm not going to be able to handle much longer. But I've gained a lot of value from just all of our customers are very willing to answer questions. They're willing to hop on the phone and talk about their pet. We used to have a retail store when I bought the company in Portland. And people would come in and talk to you for like two and a half hours about their ferret named Jeffrey, which was awesome. It was awesome. But it's incredibly hard to you know, give that time to talking to that to every single person. So kind of pick and choose more now who I, who I speak with a lot. But yeah, honestly, just talking to your customer, listening to them, getting in their communities, like that's been the biggest part. I didn't know what a chichilla was before I came to this business. So I learned about it through hopping into Facebook groups, going on the forums, Reddit, just consume as much data as possible. Yeah, I think that that getting out, you know, they say get out of the building and you can kind of do that digitally now. Like you said, you go into the forums, you scan stuff, you read the comments, you see what's missing. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of hustle. But I mean, it looks like it, it worked for you. And I know it's worked for me in a couple of instances, too. And I hear it from a lot of others where they'll put in, you know, 20 hours a week of just scanning and learning and processing all these, you know, threads and conversations. And, you know, once or twice a week, they'll get something decent. And you start to see the same thing over and over. And you're like, oh, I, I've seen this is the eighth time I've seen somebody talk about no cages big enough for a monkey or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you're like, I'm going to create that and see what happens. And then Boom, the SKU, you know, empties out first month. And before you know it, you got a new product line. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> so I love to understand how the order. So now knowing that you don't just have a couple of SKUs that you're selling, but you're kind of got all these add-ons and I've gone through and I've seen you can add components in the cages uh, on your site. So somebody places an order. How does that come into your shop? And and are you make to order or are you assembly? Like what, what does this look like once the order comes in from raw material to shipping that? Yeah, so we're evolving right now in that nature. I've, I've always been behind. So business, business under my ownership has been, we're in year seven, 52-year-old business. So I, I, I honestly have no idea how it was managed prior. But I've been basically behind for five years. Like customers were paying and we wouldn't ship their order sometimes 45 days, sometimes 90 days. During COVID at one point, it hit 110 days because I couldn't get materials. So we've been mostly in catch-up mode. And now I have a super stellar team. And right now, our goal is to be basically, if you place your order this week, we ship it out next week. And so our queue is designed, our, our plan right now is designed to be a seven-day turnaround. Because, I mean, we do welding, we do sheet metal. We do powder coating, we do CNC. We have so many different manufacturing cells that are different skills and they operate differently. Like powder coating, you know, there's 
nine different colors that we do on a regular basis. So I need to do pink on Monday. So all the products that are ordered that are pink get made first, they go to powder coating, and then blue comes next, teal comes next. So we, we kind of structure what is made based on the powder coating cue and what color it's gonna be. And that's what comes first, so that's what comes priority. And, and honestly, this is really rudimentary. The orders come in Friday evening or Sunday night. I go through the orders in ShipStation and I just manually build an Excel sheet right now. And in, in each order, what does it look like? I mean, because it, the cages are different, are the SKUs already created and assigned? They're ordering a SKU that you've pre-designed, and so it has a whole production plan behind it? Or are you getting an order that is kind of custom, but it's got four other SKUs that are all put together, and then you have the team pull those or make those four? Like, How are you going from all these variations to knowing what to do on the floor? Yeah, so we're really working through a lot of that right now. We're having we're, we're getting better and better each week as we, as we do this. And yeah, so... We're, we we probably only do 15% custom. Maybe not even that. It's probably more like 10. Custom is just the last thing we do of the week, Friday. It's not really planned out. We just kind of meet up as a team Friday morning and knock it out, basically. So you just roll out the plan and say, okay, here's what things we got to make today. And you guys just go to town. Exactly. Most customers purchase from our ready product line. Ready product line meaning it's on our website. Um, they can... Click a button, change the color, change the size of the cage to the variation options that we have on there, and add to cart order. Most of our orders are done that way, and we just have a massive list of, you know, I, I think our chinchilla cage has three different sizes, eight different colors, and then three bundle configurations. So it's like 90 variations total, uh, 90 to 100 or something like that. And then we're doing that with every product basically anything that you know customers request frequently we'll add that in as a variation on the website i'm looking at it now and obviously the material makes sense to me whatever the material is that's what you're going to pull i'm assuming that you've got like raw wire or something like that and then you're taking it bending it and welding it to make the cage is, is that correct uh yeah so so we bring in wire mesh that that the cages are made out of on 100 foot rolls that is the last final thing that i hope to uh, manufacture in-house in the next year and then yeah so those panels are cut to size they're honed all the sharp edges taken off and then they're fastened like 9 to 15 panels are fastened together to create the cage it's all collapsible the cage collapses in on itself like a suitcase. And then the customer has a little bit of manufacturer, not manufacturing, assembly on their side when it finally arrives to them. And then we've got some sheet metal components that go in with the cage itself, with each cage. And then, yeah, depending on the bundle, each customer orders or whatever accessories they order. Yeah, we also manufacture most of our shipping boxes. We bring in cardboard sheets. We have a CNC 5x10 CNC router with a drag knife attached to it that just runs around and splits the box out of a whole sheet of cardboard, essentially. You know, I, I, I don't want money sitting on the shelf. And I, most box manufacturers want a few hundred boxes, but I only need 30 of these a month. I don't want to buy a year's supply and that's money sitting on the shelf. I'd rather put that money into ads or marketing. You know, it's value stream mapping. I'd rather you the money be used valuably now versus sitting on the shelf, not collecting interest. <laughs> you can combine it 12 times a month or 12 times a year instead of just once a year by 
basically you're saying making your boxes each month rather than buying them. Yeah. So when we're doing our production weekly production plan queue queue planning, we have a box category as well. So here's the size of boxes that we need. And those are typically the first things like the, our person who's actually packaging is running the CNC, making the boxes prior to any of the orders getting to him. So by the time the products are finished, he's got the boxes ready to go, packages them up, slaps the label on. So let's say you got an order come in, you've got sizes 48 and 36 inch. That's obviously going to be on the order. You look at it and you say, okay, here's the order. We're going to make these in based on the powder coating. You give it to somebody in your team, I'm guessing in the back. Now, how do they know how to cut for the 48 versus 36? Is there like a set plan for the 48 cuts and how they are? Or how does that work? Yeah, good question. No, they have a tablet at each station with the uh, CAD drawings. It, it would take an astronomical amount of time for us to build SOPs for every single one. We plan to do that, but we're, we're growing a little too quickly right now to be able to dedicate some time. And so, yeah, they have CAD models directly in front of them on a tablet that they can move around with and dissect and count and select and use a measuring tape on the CAD model. Okay. Interesting. And so, so you guys put all these together. Once they're together, you've already got the box, you've got the order, and then you just have what UPS or FedEx come pick them up once a day, come pick up whatever you get ready to go. Yeah, exactly. Did I skip anything? So I'm just trying to think the order comes in. Anything else key that I missed on going from order to ship? I think that about covers everything. You know, the the, the uh, I'll, I'll put this out there since sometimes we have uh, seven to fourteen day lead times. The customer communication of that element is actually part of. I, I honestly think it's tied in directly with the manufacturing process because otherwise, customer service gets these questions a million times of like, "Hey, where's my order? When's it going to ship?" Blah blah blah. blah. If we don't have good planning and we tell the customer Monday when it's actually going to go out Thursday, that causes a lot of issues. So I'm trying to really tie in the customer service with manufacturing. We haven't quite done that yet. It's a very manual process, but I'm trying to create some automated way for workers on the floor to communicate with the customer without having to communicate with the customer. Some sort of triggering system. You could create a, a visual Kanban board where as they move it to the next station, they drag that job number over. And then that action through whatever is AP or automation or whatever sends an email and says, oh, your your job has moved to, you know, from powder coating to packaging or whatever. Yeah, it would be awesome to have, let the customer log in on the website and they see like a progress bar. We'll get there someday, but. <laughs> well, growing in sales is uh, it's hard to do without sales. So I'd say focus on the growth that you're focusing on now. On a, let's say, day-to-day, week-to-week, and month-to-month, what are the key numbers that you're looking at? What what matters to you? And maybe relatedly, what doesn't matter to you? The, the, those KPIs that are evolving, I've been, I've been on running on, let's catch up. How many orders can we get shipped this week? That's the KPI, boxes out the door. Now we're getting caught up and getting into our rhythm of the seven-day turnaround. We might decide to tighten that up and go a two-day two day to three-day turnaround. But we're going to stick at the seven for a while. And I think we're going to really push for efficiency and profitability. You know, we're, we're going to be doing a lot of value stream mapping, removing waste. We do a little of that now, but I really want to really hone in on that. I'm not, I'm honestly not sure what that looks like yet and what KPIs we're going to measure once we're in that system. You know, on time order shift will be a great one. Yeah, I'm not sure. Value produce, 
value of revenue produced per employee per day would be pretty cool. I don't really know how to get that yet. <laughs> do you have uh, weights for your cages? Um, I'm trying to think you could do uh, revenue per weight shipped. So that way it takes into account larger cages versus smaller cages and all that. Weight as in like physical pound. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Just thinking outside the box. Yeah, no, that's it. That's one I've never uh, thought of actually. It might work. Yeah. I know some of the plat- the tech you use. I don't really want to get into that now, but I know part of it's Shopify. You mentioned ShipStation. So are you kind of just using whatever the out-of-box numbers are that they give you to, to track? Like you said, I think right now it's it's basically shipments every day. Is that what you're looking at? Right. Yeah, shipments every day and revenue coming in every day is honestly all I pay attention to right now. How often do you check your financials? I mean, monthly? Uh, daily. Oh, you check daily? So like, you know how you like, you know, your gross margin, your net margin? I, I don't know how much time is put into each in, into each order. I have a rough estimate of, of what it is and just kind of run off of that on my head, check that and verify it quarterly. But I, I have my finger on the pulse of cash flow every single day for sure. So what systems are you using to to run this? And by systems, I mean things like cadence. You know, me, Are you meeting with different people? What's your hierarchy look like? Who's helping you run it day to day? Who's working? Like, Run me through what, what this looks like. If somebody else were to step in, what would they have to kind of keep their hands on and keep moving forward? It's kind of crazy for me right now, to be honest. We're, we're, I don't have enough people. I'm doing everything I can right now to delegate and, and get some good people in here. Um, as is everybody so don't worry about it <laughs> yeah yeah just just two years ago i was operating solo and now we're at three employees with four freelancers and i need to double the uh manufacturing uh within the next 30 days wow yeah you said you said you got one of your biggest orders ever or or a commercial order yeah uh wholesale order commercial order all stainless steel cages so we've never done stainless steel manufacturing either so that's a whole new experience and it's a whole new welding work cell that we have to build so that's pretty cool but yeah that's 400 cages stainless is extremely expensive (laughs) so that's a you know it's a whole new supply chain and then yeah we've never done a bulk bulk order that size that's it's gonna end up being like 550 hours of labor at the same time that we're doing our normal day-to-day e-commerce business and manufacturing too. So it's going to definitely throw a throw a wrench into how we operate a little bit. So we're bringing in a local MEP lean consultant to help us get some more stuff accelerated into better planning and communication on the manufacturing side. My day-to-day is like crazy. I do marketing too, SEO, all of that stuff. Wearing, wearing all the hats. The crew is mostly doing all of the manufacturing without me now, which is great. So I give them weekly the sheet of here's what we need. And I kind of let them handle it, to be honest. And you said those three of them that are doing manufacturing? Yeah. What do you got? Is it, it split up by function? Is it is it one person dealing with the mesh, one with the sheet metal, and one with kind of the powder coating and everything else? Or how, how is that? They all have split? their spots that they like. So, you know, I again, I let them manage that. I got too much to deal with, but, and they're all really smart, really smart guys. And yeah, so they manage a lot of that. It's usually split up per quote unquote department. It's all in the same room, but powder coating, welding, sheet metal, cage manufacturing, CNC, final assembly. And so it's usually all divvied out in that way. The, the spreadsheet still doesn't communicate it well enough, and it takes a, it's a little time for me to enter, but enter the information and just working through the kinks of how it all flows together. 
best. When you say the spreadsheet, you mean the one that you put together after you go through the orders and you kind of line it up for them? Is that like your production schedule? Yeah, exactly. What are the items that are pink? What are the items that are teal? What are the items that are uh, purple? And then that I, I fill out that powder coated list first because that's that's our constraint. And then I go, you know, okay, most of the stuff that's powder coated is sheet metal. So I'll just use that as reference. Then the sheet metal queue is, okay, say we have 15 chinchilla nest boxes, but there are four different colors between the 15. So I'll take five pink chinchilla nest boxes, and that's his first task. Then whatever else is pink, chinchilla trays. So we'll prep and build all the pink stuff. Then the sheet metal person will go to the blue stuff while the pink stuff is being coded, and so on. So we work based on what color is coming next. Tool changes aren't too big of a deal for us. There's not too much time involved with, with our tool change, like changing the measurement uh, of, the she- of the pneumatic shear. Super easy. It takes 30 seconds. They complain about it, but it's not really a big deal. So, so there's no real like shop floor manager. You kind of are the shop floor manager. It's just an autonomous team back there that knows what needs to get done, and they're pretty efficient at getting it done. There's one guy who's uh, naturally the leader at, the, at this point, but it, it's not very formalized. I, I don't foresee him being a manager as, as we get to 10 people. He's more of the developmental guy, loves the lean stuff. He does all of our CAD. He's a freaking wizard at it. I want him more on the, the creative efficiency side of manufacturing. And so I'll, I, I want to see with the other two if one of them could be a potential manager. We'll see. We'll see. So you have three out there. You have you doing SEO. And by that, I see that you have a blog on your website. I'm assuming, is that kind of what you're doing? Figuring out what to write about, what you're targeting, adding content to your site? Or are there other marketing SEO things that you're doing too? Yeah. So right now, most of our traffic is organic. It's all done through SEO. You know, what is a chinchilla? How to potty train a chinchilla? You know, what... (laughs) What, how should I name my chinchilla? There's a million questions. I always look at it of, you know, we're planning out the, the marketing is like, what's the life cycle of a person? Okay. Their, their first question is, what is a chinchilla? And then, you know, look at a chinchilla lives for 20 years. So let's take every single question that person's going to have for 20 years and create a solution for each one of those. And yeah, so I'm, I'm really just uh, working through that, hiring blog writers, hiring graphic graphic. Uh, creators. I'm not good at the aesthetic side of things. I'm not good at making things look pretty. Pretty good at the the technical side of that stuff. But then, uh, you know, I manage Google ads, Google shopping, Google ads, a little bit of Instagram ads here and there. Right now, most of my time is spent trying to hire. That's, yeah, get three guys in a month is going to be a full-time job. (laughs) So so who besides, as those three guys, because of the stainless order and the possibility of more or is it just everything that's, that you're doing and pulling in house now yeah so so my goal with taking the, with this order coming in is using it as a launch pad to okay you know this order has an expiration date and then our volume is going to drop my goal is to by the order, time this order is done in 60 to 90 days our day-to-day sales are taking over and filling that gap that could potentially happen so that's what i'm trying to set myself up right now Four is, you know, increasing our daily e-commerce revenue, uh, doubling it in the next three to four months. I know you said it's not it's not ideal, but this large order I don't believe was retail, right? This is a 
either commercial or wholesale. It's a veterinary, veterinary program. And have you looked into why they went to you or what they need? And then can you use that to go try and sell more of these across the country so that you get more of these large orders and you can easily fill capacity that way? Yeah. So I do a lot. I, I do five to 10 of these veterinary orders uh, yearly for the past few, few years. Most of them are word of mouth, but usually they're around a 20 to 30 cage order. And it's, and it's, you know, it's a nice boost, but a hundred of those is fantastic. They're great. They pay full price. You know, they're, they're, vet, they're veterinarians. So they're super busy. They don't want to talk on the phone. They just want to send the email and, and, and get a great product. So yeah, yeah, that'll, that'll definitely be a market. We start pushing more. There's a lot of different markets that we can enter into outside of just retail, you know, wildlife, fish and game. They, they trap, trap a lot of animals humanely, you know, they, they need good products. There's not a lot of this stuff made in the U S anymore. Uh, especially with supply chain issues, you know, importing is what they are right now. We're seeing a lot of opportunity come from that since, I mean, we have one or two components that we utilize that are imported. Everything else is domestic. So we have a lot of control over our supply chain and, and to answer your question in a very long way, I absolutely do see this opening up, uh, def- definitely opening up a more market toward this different category. So I'm curious now. Now understanding kind of your your order to ship, understanding roughly the size and what it looks like. I'm just trying to build like a mental picture of your operation. What does your day look like? I mean, you you come in or maybe you're home when you kind of start looking at things. Are you checking numbers from the previous day first? Are you looking at new orders? Are you reviewing production from the day before? Like kind of, and I, I realize when you run a business, your day is really varied. But if you had kind of an ideal routine of you keeping everything moving forward, what are you coming in? What are you checking? What are the concerns you have? Can you walk me through what that day would be? Yeah. First thing I try to do, well, you know, once I start working, the first thing I try to do is customer service. What broke in our system that the customer realized that's the first thing is, you know, high priority customer service. Then I take care of the low priority customer service. Kind of look at, you know, what what orders need to be shipped today? What orders need to be shipped today? And I go check out the statuses of those. And then most of the rest of the day is mostly development stuff. Sometimes I, I fill in for shipping packages. Sometimes I'm powder coating. Sometimes I'm welding. It's yeah, it's it's never the same day for sure. But I, you know, I, I don't really work too well when I with a set plan either. I I'm, I'm mostly you know what are my goals this week? I really don't plan the day to day very tightly. I'm not it's just not my kind of not who I am. Sometimes I yesterday I got a wild hair and like. Okay, I want to launch the bird our bird product line later this year. What's the most efficient and effective way to do that and gain a lot of traffic from bird people really quickly? So I spent like six hours on a whim, like it just popped into my head. I think I was listening to a podcast on my way to work and it sparked an idea. So, you know, I spent six hours doing that yesterday, came up with a bunch of different options that were it was exciting. So I ch- I chased a lot of shiny things like that sometimes. <laughs> and then yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of talking. That's been the hardest thing for me to get used to as added more people and our sales have grew, grown. It used to be I made things all day and listened to audiobooks and podcasts all day. It's a lot of communicating now, I'm noticing and identifying like what what's breaking. Like why 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 are these things breaking or you know talking to the guys out there, you know, what what this was made wrong. Why was it made wrong and how do we make sure it doesn't happen again? So, yeah, honestly, most of my days communication and research. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that. I 
I was talking with someone recently and I said, you know, when, when the, in my previous business, when it was smaller, I worked most of the day and I could work by myself. Like you said, I had headphones in or I had music on and I was just working most of the day. Now being part of a larger organization, I spend a lot of my time more than I want to communicating, checking, reviewing, you know, problem solving with people, helping one group understand what another group is trying to do and vice versa, communicating to customers what we're doing internally, communicating internally what the customers are desiring. Like I'm basically this funnel for information to make sure that, you know, three groups who talk totally different languages, so to speak, all get kind of the big pictures. You know what I mean? So yeah, you're, you're, absolutely. you're, you're taking, you're taking customer speak and you're putting it in engineering terms for your team and you're taking engineering terms and you're like, oh, you definitely can't tell the customer that. And then you're telling the customer in a more like friendly way that they understand. So again, I found that if you try to hold on to the work while doing that, you went, and this was me, I was stressed all the time. I was like, I need to get back to work. And then I started to realize like, no, this is kind of my work now. What I need to do is find somebody else to do a lot of this other stuff that I used to hack away at. Somebody else needs to do that because this is now part of my job is facilitating what I say is communication and information. Yeah. Yeah. I do, you know, I do spend a lot of time with, with my crew too. We have a lot of fun. We talk about a lot of things personal life, you know, I'm, I, I don't keep thing. I don't keep everything all business. I want to know these guys on a personal level, you know, where are they going in the life, where they want to go. If they don't want to stay here. You know, they just want to be here a few years. Awesome. How do I help you get further after you leave here? Do a lot of that stuff. Super fun to me. Culture really. And you know, like right now I'm, I'm foreseeing having 10 employees by the end of the year. I've got three core guys. What does it look like? What do I need to be like teaching them and, and, helping them with right now and placing in front of them to, to turn them into like leadership types for the other people that we're going to hire. These are all super young guys. They're, they're 19, 20, 21. So they don't have a lot of life skills. And so some of this is their first job, uh, a couple of them. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to I spend a lot of time thinking and, and communicating with them of like, here's how we do this. Or what do you think? Like, how do, how do we do this? How do we go to 10 people? Like, what do you see is going to break? What communication problems are we going to have? How do we train the new people better? Because these guys, it took about six months for them to know everything. How do we, you know, hey guys, how do we reduce that down to six weeks? So a new person comes in and, and they don't need management in six weeks. Ask a lot of those questions. We, we, we write a lot of those things down. We're starting to implement those things. But yeah, we have a lot of fun with it too. I was talking to Rob LeBon recently, who runs the grocery stores up up uh, in the Northeast. Oh yeah, he, he makes some great posts. Yeah, he was he was saying something similar that a lot of the people that he hires, not all, but a lot, it is their first job, and so it's it's there's like the baseline, like I need you to do your job, but there's also. I need to teach you how to do a job, like show up on time, be respectful to clients. And he was talking about how sometimes they don't even have the confidence to like look a customer in the eye because it's just, it's a young kid and they've never like had to deal with that before. And he said, it's really encouraging when you go back in six months later and you see that person confident in their job, like they've gained some life skills. And what I hear you saying is something similar, but even on a deeper level, I I would think as you're asking these questions, it's almost like Socratic teaching where you're bringing up problem solving, making decisions. You're almost giving them a new way to approach life, to approach problems, not only at Quality Cage, but in their life as well. And hopefully they make better decisions outside of Quality Cage because 
you know, instead of just taking whatever comes, they're like, oh, wait, I can work this problem backwards. I can preempt the problem, see what might cause it, just like we do at Quality Cage. All right, you know, if I don't want to be without my car for two weeks, I'm going to preempt what might put my car in the shop for two weeks and I might drive differently or I'm, you know what I mean? And you start to take that mindset to other things. And I think in my 20s, I was all about business and the numbers and the ops. And in my 30s, really started to realize it's really about the people. Like that stuff is fun, but business only exists because of people and for people, right? So customers want something and you you, you want to work on quality there. And em, em, employees and partners want something and that's to be developed and to enrich their life, basically, I think is why people work to enrich their life, whether it's who they work with, what they work on, or um, even if it's just money. And so, yeah, if you can enrich their life by helping them become better, I think that that's actually a more important reason for business. And then if you can make money while doing it, that just keeps the the thing going. Yeah, honestly, like I get chills from thinking like that way more than making a million bucks. I always like look at myself internally of like, okay, what would 10 year old me think of me right now? What would he, would he look forward to what, what I'm doing? Would it, would that seem boring? You know, I want to entertain that kid as much as possible. And, and same thing for these employees. Like, you know, when I first had my few first jobs, like I didn't get mentored. I got told a task and I don't do it right, then I, I get reprimanded. I don't get taught or anything. You know, I never really. I had I had some great bosses and some great jobs and um, good people that I worked with, but you know, I never really. You know, I always I knew I always wanted to start a business. I never got taught that, so I teach these guys everything. I show them Google Ads when they come in here to ask me a question about manufacturing. I show them Google Ads and hey, here's how I found how to hire somebody for blog writing. You know, I, I try to be as open book as possible, and and really, my goal is, if these guys leave, I want them to miss it. <laughs> you know, I want them to be so like they'll probably come back. You know, that's my goal. Is like I like these guys. If they stick around a long time, I like them. I usually move pre- people pretty quick if we don't, if we don't get along. And like five six years down the road, if if somebody wants to come back and they were working at Tesla or something for five six years, awesome. Love to bring that knowledge and what they learned at other positions back and see how we can improve it better. Yeah. So, you know, make it fun and (laughs) make it harder for other companies to steal your employees too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, I had one, I've only ever had one person say that, but they left and we we were, we were a small business. It was a lot of friends and family, but one person left and basically three months later said, I didn't realize how great I had it. And again, it wasn't because we overpaid or we did anything great. It was just the culture and the environment of doing things together and, you know, suffering together. And when we did well, we went out to eat together. And I think when she left, she ended up at a job where she was just an inspector and inspect the parts. What's your number? What's your pass ratio? Yada, yada. And she missed all the extra stuff. Yeah, it's cool. A couple, all my guys went to the same school. I went to the school with them for one semester, then dropped out, but I hired them through that uh, process. And, and all of them in their third and final semesters were getting inundated with companies offering uh, $25, $30 an hour, where I'm, I'm paying them about 20 And I'm like, hey, guys, we're going to get to 30 very quickly. We keep going like we're going, like you're going to get there. And, and they all turned down those jobs. So it, you know, that felt pretty good that they, that they stuck around through through those through those offers you know they had hard offers so like that was honestly really cool that was really motivating to me too that's where i was that that when they told me that i was just like let's hightail it let's get this thing going i want these guys to be successful as possible and 
you know, I want that too. That's, that's my goal is to do something fun with fun people and provide super good value for our customers. So. Absolutely. I, I, one of my things is I want everybody that works, uh, at Canecast to have a path to a hundred thousand dollars or more a life salary, that. or I'm sorry, uh, pay. And so yeah, I'm not going to give it to them, but there is a way. And we've, we've actually had, I think two or three close above that last year between overtime and then the incentive that we just implemented. And so that's, I don't think it's possible yet for everybody that works for us to get there. But the goal is through three or four programs that we're implementing this year that everybody at least has a path to get there if they want to. That's super cool. What key, what, what, what's the main key to that for you guys? As far as how we're doing it, the mechanism. So at Canecast, we're, we're, we're molding all day. And, and there's, there's three, I'd say three categories of, of people. There's the molders. There's the people pouring the metal, which are also possibly doing shakeout, clearing the sand. And then there's people doing cleaning, prepping the shipments and putting it out. So we've got them called molders, melt, and cleaning, kind of three categories. Molders get basically to get an incentive for every mold that they do. So they have a base hourly. And then every mold they do, they they get like, depending on which machine it is, a dollar or a dollar fifty extra. And cleaning gets parts out the door. So the goal is, hey, they're responsible for quality and make sure that we ship a part. So if a part's not done well, it's not cleaned well, it's not shippable, then the molder doesn't get penalized for that. But everybody in after the molder will get penalized for that. And keeping it simple, we can measure those numbers quickly. We know them instantly at the end of the day. We give that as a direct feedback loop. So every paycheck, they've got that number. Like they've got their incentive. So it's not like this profit share where at the end of the year, they just get some bulk number. I want them to feel it like, oh, I did a lot of molds on Tuesday. I'm going to see that in my paycheck next week. And so the, because of the way we got it set up, we're not going to we're not going to end up overpaying them because if they produce enough, we're selling enough and they've covered whatever increase. And then the second part of that is we have a weekly meeting where we talk every single week about and you'll appreciate this because I can tell because you're into the lean stuff. Um, and you understand how important this is. It's only purpose of it is a bottleneck meeting. So our bottlenecks come in three main categories. The facility itself is capping us. Labor is capping us. Or something about equipment is, is capping us. And so we run through every plant. Gets about you know five, 10 minutes. What are your biggest bottlenecks? I know you got 50 of them. But what are the top three that are stopping you from, from producing more? So the goal is, hey, we're going to... We're going to give you more money based on how much you produce, but then we're going to come in and we're going to consistently invest in things that will help you produce more. So, okay, maybe maybe you're you know fifty percent away from your goal. Well, what's stopping you? You know, you need another furnace. You can pour more. Done. You need another rack to hold more molds. Done. So each plant we've invested over, we've invested probably close to a million dollars in the last twelve months just to help. The only goal is like they're all already profitable to help the molders be able to mold more. And it's funny, we heard nothing. We implement the incentive program based on how much they can mold. And all of a sudden, well, you know, I got to stop molding at noon. It's not fair. Well, why do you got to stop at noon? Oh, because there's not enough space. All right, let's, let's get you some space. Let's rework, let's redo the factory floor. Let's go, we're going to add like stuff that they never cared to say. All of a sudden they're saying, and you know, well, we'll, we'll you know, the metal's not ready on time. So I'm losing an hour a day. Oh, great. We'll have somebody come in an hour early who wants the OT for extra money there. And then all the metal will be melted to the right temp and all it just bubbles up. And so now we've got everybody like throwing too many bottlenecks at us. But the goal is like, hey, we're going to give you a path to get to 100,000. Here's the mechanism. 
Let us know what's in your way of doing it. And we're going to get you better machines, better sand. We're going to bring in experts. We're going to get you labor to help, like whatever we can do to get you so that you can get to that number. How many employees do you guys have at each plant, like on average? All over the place. So I'd say we got like 10, 15, and then the big ones probably got like 45. Yep. And then one of them is really small. It's got probably, I don't know, six uh, up in New Hampshire. So pretty big spread. The large one is the one that has been around for four years. It's the one that, that Reg started out with. And then the other three are acquisitions in the last 12 months that have that kind of upside, but we're just at the beginning of that, of that trend. Three acquisitions in 12 months. That's crazy. That's yeah. awesome. So creating that playbook. So let's, I, I, I don't think based on talking to you, you're too tool heavy, but I am interested in what you're using. It looks like you got Shopify. Am I, am I right on that? Yeah. Yeah. So what, like, what are the tools you're using to do everything from SEO to shipping to whatever else you're doing internally? Yeah, I got a whole list of bookmarks right in front of me. I can run down uh, time clocks, deputy, payroll, Gusto, deputy exports out to Gusto. We got a tablet on the floor that people clock in and out of. Use Breezy HR for posting jobs pretty much everywhere I can find. That's a nice Kanban applicant tracking system, essentially. Tracking and communication system. So that's nice. Do you have to write all the job stuff for that? Or do they have somebody that will write it for you? Is it is it a self-serve SaaS or is it like a consulting slash SaaS? Not sure. I'm only on the base package. I know they have more features, but I like writing the job descriptions. So I have a whole playbook of those. But and what's it do? Auto it auto cross posts for you? Yeah, so it posts to LinkedIn, everywhere but Facebook. And then you can also pay to do ads on all of those job sites as well. Personally, I, I might just stop that. I haven't had good luck with job postings and, and getting people. I've had more luck getting face-to-face -face with somebody. And hey, you seem like you're good at your job. You want you want a better one? <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're setting up going to all the high schools and all the trade schools around here and, and doing presentations. We have, we're, we're, we're a really fun crew, so we can show them that. We actually do have fun. <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait to come out there and meet everybody. Yeah, dude. You're welcome anytime. Literally anytime. SEO, I use an app called Hrefs. And then our, for our blog writers, I use uh, Surfer SEO. They write into it. It gives them a grade on how good the, the writing is. And you can, there's a, I, I don't even need to go into that. There's a whole lot of information on that app. It's, if you are hiring blog writers, it's awesome. AC Ames. Where do you hire your blog writers on? I actually used Breezy HR to find the couple that I have right now. I had a post or I had a job listing up for probably six months. Just nobody good was applying. And like after six months, just part time anywhere in the world or? Yeah. Yeah. You know, pay per, pay per blog. Uh, I pay about 200 bucks per blog. And then, yeah, right after about six months of that post being live, a couple people uh, post or applied that actually had pet chinchillas. I was like, that's insane. I did not foresee that happening. <laughs> so they got hired almost instantly and that's going really well. So yeah, but Upwork, Fiverr, just just hire somebody, see what you don't like. You know, it's, it's lean manufacturing. Hire somebody, if you didn't like something about them, write it down and put that into the job description of I don't want this, I'm looking for this. You know, continuous improvement on everything. ShipStation or customer service, I use Reamaze. Shopify, Amazon, Walmart. For international shipments, this is a cool app, Zonos. Um, Z-O-N-O-S. You 
implement it into your Shopify. And if a customer is search, if a if a customer is on your website from like Croatia or something, it takes them to a different checkout system than Shopify's native checkout system, and it will calculate duties, taxes, and fees, and allow the customer to pay it right there, right then and there. So that the package just goes directly to the customer. It doesn't sit there waiting in customs. Uh, super cool app. We don't do a lot of international, but man, has it saved the amount of time we spend on customer service with international people. I was going to say, that's what makes it great is that you don't, because you don't do a ton, you don't have all the infrastructure. So having something that can basically figure everything out for you really quick and you don't get burned finding out that there's an extra $50 fee shipping somewhere. Yeah, that was that happened a lot. Uh, I almost shut down international until I found those guys. But yeah, after that, you know, there's a couple more Shopify apps, but QuickBooks for bookkeeping. Use anything for inventory? No, visual. I really want to implement an MRP system, but since we're changing from reactive to proactive type of system, um, I mostly just try to make sure we have enough raw materials to cover 45 days. Yeah, some of those. You know, it, it, some of those, it become, it, it, that was really difficult during COVID. Yeah, I, I used to carry about 15 to 20 days of, of raw materials. Now, moving, I want to just have 60 days. No finished goods, 60 days worth of material at all times. Refill it every 30 days. Yep. Is that, did that get difficult? I'm guessing you basically ran like a visual min-max when it would get down to a certain level. You'd go to the, do the reorder and your min max is probably based on your history. And then all of a sudden lead times expand. So technically your min probably went up to about where your max was. Is that why you ended up kind of just? Yeah. On one particular product in particular, hardware got really hard. Nuts and bolts. I think we, you, we talked on Twitter about that at one point and yeah, that's my old business. Oh, that's what oh, I did for all right. 10 years. <laughs> nice. I know the supply chain very well. Nice. Yeah. Bearings, this bearing that I get out of China, we go through like uh, 150,000 of them a, a year and the factory just stopped producing them. I'm like, I'm buying them from resellers and I'm literally hitting up every single reseller in the entire country trying to find them. That was a god awful experience. And that was for our number one product. So that was, that was rough. And then wire mesh. So wire mesh, you know, th there's, there's industrial wire mesh and there's cage quality wire mesh. Not many people make cage quality wire mesh. There's three or four good ones around the entire world. That's that's it. So, really, I think the other one is just used for construction, right? It basically they lay it with like in concrete and stuff like that. So yeah, hold rocks, animal like farm fencing. You're gonna insource this soon. That's the goal. <laughs> it's an expensive one. Uh, the machine's about 130, 120, 130 thousand. We're looking at potentially designing a machine ourselves. We're working toward that and, and, and deciding which, which direction we're going to go. I find this really, really interesting. And I, I think this would be a good place to close. You talked about a while ago, and you've mentioned things like this, this whole talk. You mentioned a while ago, I believe you insourced powder coating in the last year. I remember you talking about it online. You were looking into it. Now, I dealt with powder coated parts for about five years. I, I did it. I had it done on castings we had produced for Eaton Cooper. So I had it done at a high level and a high quality spec. Even with that experience, I would have no idea where to start <laughs> doing it myself all of a sudden. So the idea that you saw something that was being done and insourced it, I'd love to just have a walkthrough if you can kind of 
you know, quickly go through doing the research. If you visited, did you talk to people? How'd you figure out the machines? How'd you figure out the health, the environmental aspect? Like, how'd you go from, yeah, I'm sure it was probably one of your six hour research things that it started out with. And how'd you go from that to, we do powder coating now and it's on our Shopify site. Yeah. So oddly enough, there was nothing like that involved with this. I just got pissed off at my vendors. They kept screwing up. You know, I, I, I switched powder coaters like four times and this, and this was about, it's probably been three years now. Yeah. Switched vendors like four or five times. I'd send, you know, a uh, hundred units to them. 30 of them would come back all messed up and total crap. So then we were making an extra 30 units and sending them to them. And then when they get back, throwing 30 away, like it's painful to me because like, I love efficiency. Things are, things are inherently simple, but people overcomplicate things. And like that just, it, it just pissed me off. To be honest, it wasn't something I wanted to do. So I literally hopped on Craigslist and was like, okay, anybody selling a powder coating system? And yeah, there was one, $10,000, bought it. No freaking clue what I was doing and just started doing it. <laughs> so like walk me through it. And for those that don't know powder coating, powder coating is, a way to, is the way to color metal. So... It, usually they're in, I've seen the large ones where it's basically a room. It's like a mini room inside of a warehouse. And there is a, almost like a clothesline trying to describe it visually that goes through where parts hang off and they get sprayed on all sides or powder coated on all sides. And then they come out and they have to go through a dryer and a, and a heat process for adhesion. I mean, how, how big is yours? Are you manually like, they explain this to me because I find this fascinating. It's so small. <laughs> it's so small. I, I honestly never understood why they were so big at those, at those plants. Unless you're coating something that's huge, then you, you obviously need more square footage to fit the object inside. And like, so our stuff, our biggest product is like 30 inches by 30 inches by 65 inches tall. And so, you know, what's, what's the time of cooking? That's the final process. Time of cooking is okay. You put it into the oven, the oven has to get to 400 degrees. It has to hold it at 400 degrees for 10 minutes. That's about a 20 minute process. Okay, then, okay, how long does it take to coat all the product that goes inside one batch inside that? Oh, our oven is five foot by five foot by seven foot tall. Okay, so you can get, uh, and you have trays, so you can go high as, as well as deep and wide. You can get two, two or three cages high. We have racks on wheels, metal racks on wheels on high temperature casters, essentially build them for like 45 bucks. Yeah. So, so how long does it take us to fill a rack? It's 25 minutes. So it's, 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 you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. So we have three racks, one guy coding at all times. At the beginning of the day, he, he coats two racks worth, puts the first rack in the oven, gets it cooking. It's done in 20 minutes. By that time, he's got the third one ready to go. So now there are two finished racks queued up. Rack number two goes in the oven. He gets a little time to prep for the next rack. And then uh, as rack number one is cooling off, once it's cool, it takes the product off. So, so it's really set up to be one person just constantly pull, pull rack out of the oven, put rack in oven, pull rack out, put rack in within, with, you know, with about 15 minutes in between each of those, each of those processes. I don't understand why those companies have such large systems because it wouldn't add any more efficiency for us to double the size of our, our system. You know, the only way you could do it is add a second person, but then you have two different people coding all the same batch at the same time. And you have two different people 
who are not going to have the same consistent spray going. And sometimes multiple of those products in a batch are going to the same customer. So I want one person coding each batch um, for each customer so that they have the same consistency. So it sounds like what you did was looked at each step of this as an independent step and then just thought, how do I get all of these independent steps done in the shortest amount of time? So rather than spraying all, then heating all, which is what how some people always think, what's the word, one after the other, sequentially, you're saying, hey, you know, some of this has to happen sequentially, but only for a single line of batches. We can actually do, like you said, a powder coat and then a heat and then back to powder coat and then push the heat off to finish because you've got three different lines going at the same time, three different sequential lines. It's very simple, but it's hard to teach because it is a feel thing. But but really, the powder comes out of the gun. It gets magnetized. It gets positively charged with electricity. And then the, the material that you're spraying has a negative. So it's magnetism. So it, the kids who are super scientific and love playing with magnets when they were younger, boom, they like they grab on really easily. You know, the, the harder to magnetize spots are the ones you need to coat first. And how do you get it to consistently spray with a certain thickness across a four foot by four foot sheet of metal? So does this mean that you can't powder coat stainless? You can, but what's the point? <laughs> it looks good. <laughs> yeah, we powder coat over galvanized or mild steel, uncoated mild steel. We don't, you know, if you're doing like car wheels or something like obviously those are going to get hit and hammered hard so your material prep is honestly takes more time than the powder coating application itself our products don't see a lot of abuse so we don't spend as much time on that because it's well it's over processing essentially the customer doesn't want to pay for that they don't need it so you decided to pull this in-house you looked on craigslist you found a powder coating system you thought i can afford that you brought it in i mean how'd you set it up how'd you you just started pushing the buttons and using it and parts came out bad and you put them back in and slowly just kind of figured it out, reverse engineered from quality problems or? Yeah. What, what problems am I facing? Go to Google. Okay. Powder coating industry. Most of this is affiliate marketing websites and they don't give good information. Okay. What's the next source? Let's go directly to the community. Reddit, subreddit, powder coating and Facebook groups. Once again, Facebook groups are, I hate Facebook, but Facebook Facebook groups are gold and just start posting, asking, asking questions, using search of whatever your problem is, just digging deeply. But I always like tried to focus on one problem at a time and, you know, it's just continuous improvement. <laughs> Everything is, you, you don't have to be good at anything. You just have to ask questions constantly. Yeah. And, that, and that's the same thing we go about in, in, you know, we're starting to build our own machines now. It's, you know, we're, we're not a big company. I, I want a $150,000 machine. Getting lenders for that is, you know, our revenue's not quite to the level to where they're satisfied with lending 150 k on a machine that they probably can't resell because it's very specialized. So, we're, you know, we're looking at, you know, how do we build these things? So we have to reverse engineer and start planning those things out. How do we do it? How, how do we do it manually first? You know, a wire, wire mesh. We've got a spot welder. Let's make a wire mesh panel. So we've done that a few times. We don't like doing that because like one K, one Archinchilla mansion has some like 12,000 weld joints. It's extremely time consuming and not profitable at all. But now we understand the concept. So how do we make it 20% better, 20% faster? Then how do we make it another 20% until we get to our final end goal where it's automated? 
Yep. That classic bottleneck attack. Consistent bottleneck attack will put you uh, miles ahead if you do it consistently. Yeah. I mean, you post about it all the time. I mean, we, we tried to automate a process that we didn't fully understand and wasted $4,000 about six months ago. Uh, that was actually not a waste. We learned a lot. Now we hung that failed project up on the wall. <laughs> and we, you know, anytime we start to overcomplicate something, one of us just points at it and like, keep it simple. Like this is, you know, we wasted four grand there. That could have been a new welding machine or something. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, you know, because I know a little bit of code and and have, have built some tools, everybody assumes I do that for everything. I was talking to some people and they said, oh, you know, what are you doing for inventory, capturing inventory? And I said, well, they write it on an 8 by 11 piece of paper and then they literally take a photo with their phone and send it to our team to log the inventory. I mean, <laughs> everything has to be complicated just to make it complicated, right? These are foundry guys. They don't need to be on their phone. They don't want to be on their phone. It, we don't need a super duper app. We just need the numbers. And so, you know, sometimes the tools make sense. And sometimes it just makes sense to have them write it on a post-it and text a picture of that post-it into the team. So, yeah, I always tell the guys, you know, figure out what's the ROI or, you know, break-even point of, of improving the project. If it's within six months, let's do it. If it's longer than six months, you know, if it takes us 12 months to recoup the investment of improving this process, then let's not do it. Let's wait till it becomes a six month thing. And there's a lot of those. <laughs> there's a million of those. Yeah. Or you can, re- I, we had a conversation about that where ones that are like long payback or low ROI, what can we change or adjust so that either we get more money or it's less, less investment? Because both of those you can play with your numerator, your uh, numerator denominator, right? So you can either somehow ch- change your market so that it's a more margin, or you can make it so that you only have to invest half as much. Both of those can help get you from a 12 to 18 month down to a six month payback. And so sometimes you just put those in a bucket and say, oh, we're going to we're going to talk about this later and tweak it. And if we can't tweak it, we can't adjust any of our parameters or adjust our our targets, then then we'll trash it. But we've got about we've got about three or four of those where we just put them aside because they're kind of attractive, but not attractive enough. We look for a three X ROI. So if I we invest one hundred thousand, we'd like to get three hundred thousand back. And so, again, it you know, comes out to about what four month payback but yeah sounds good man yeah it's fun thanks for walking uh, me through all that I, i've been curious about your business literally since i started talking to you on twitter i just because there's not a lot of manufacturers and i didn't know that there was a chinchilla market that big so there's a couple <laughs> things and uh when i finally started recording these i just was like i really want to reach out to josh and use it as an opportunity to learn about uh, your business and then obviously get out there myself soon so Bill, yeah, this is a really fun way to get to know each other uh, as well. Like, why not do it in public? And we're all doing cool stuff. So let's just share it and hope other people learn stuff from it too. 